Gary uh, mentioned the prayer time tomorrow night. You know, in the bulletin, we've got um, different people posting and uh, to give a little different flavor, perhaps, a little different approach. And I had the privilege of hosting tomorrow night. But I want to take time this morning to sort of have a pastoral time of prayer and a pastoral prayer. And I'm going to pray for um, the search committee and what's happening with the search committee. We're going to pray uh, this morning regarding the vote on Tuesday night, October 8th, and then the vote in Canada. Um, one and a two. I knew there was a one and a two in there somewhere. Twenty-first. Thank you. <laughs> First of all, the search committee. Um, I hope you've got one of these prayer calendars. And today, I'm just going to read the prayer that's attached to day 29, September 29. Got that number right. Um, and I hope you've got one of these. They're on the table at the back. If you don't have one, just give away. And the way we've divided it up, we've divided it up so there's a day of prayer for the search committee, a prayer, day of prayer for our church family, a day of prayer for the potential candidate, um, and a day of prayer for our community, and then just kind of a generic prayer. So there's cycles trying to cover all the bases, if you will. Uh, prayer for the board as well. Day 29 is kind of more of a prayer for us as a church family. Day 29 says this. starts with Deuteronomy chapter 5. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. And here's a prayer that uh, one of the um, prayer uh, leaders put together for that day. Ask the Lord to equip and empower all who call Estevan Alliance Church their home church to discover afresh the call of God upon their lives. To discover afresh call of God upon their lives, personally and corporately. Pray that we would all live out our lives in grace and truth, for we know that is how Jesus lived out his life when he was on earth. I just find these, um, not that I get to them every day, but I find on the days I do, there's, there's just a connection with what's going on in my life, what I'm reading, what I'm preparing, and I trust you will find the same as you take advantage of that prayer calendar. As far as the search committee is concerned, um, September 30th, tomorrow is the final day uh, for applications and the postings that have gone out on the national website, the district website. Uh, there are a number of submissions that have come in from all over the world, and the search committee has narrowed it down, And but they're holding off uh, phone calls and phone interviews with the, the shorter list, if you will, till after our vote on October the 8th, because the board felt that it was best to uh, have that part of the process finished off, and then we will talk uh, to the individuals as we talk the longer list to get down to the shorter list, and uh, so we can say this is what we're not going to be in terms of the vote for living elders. So that's kind of the process. Uh, in the meantime, the board is, is uh, again, reviewing submissions uh, and applications and so on as they, the search committee doing applications and so on as, as they come in, and that's sort of where that process is at. As far as the vote for women as elders, as you can see in the bulletin, we've kind of come into the last part, and uh, as we approach uh, Tuesday night, October the 8th, and the vote, we trust you will be prayerfully uh, seeking the Lord in terms of your response and your answer to the question and the motion that's been put forward. Um, it has been an important process. process is 
hugely important. Um, some of you know Mel Sylvester. If you don't know Mel Sylvester, he's in the picture of, I think it's your 50th anniversary. He is in the front of your picture of the 50th anniversary. Before Mel left Regina to go to Calgary with Ambrose University College, I just loved having Mel in the room and I was really sad that he was going to be leaving. And I said to him, Mel, can we do coffee? And so we went for coffee before he moved to Calgary with the school. And I said, Mel, any words of advice for me? And Mel, I, I respect him hugely, not only because he was the first president of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada, but just his presence, his persona, the way he carries himself, his dignity, his integrity. And I said, Mel, is any words of advice for me? And I was just starting out as the lead guy at Living Hope Alliance in Regina. And Mel said, and I want to acknowledge the significant role the board has played in the whole thing since the AGM, where it was asked that the board consider the role of women as elders, the importance of respecting the process. And they have done that. And that's sort of why we're sort of where we are in the process. And so the vote will take place on Tuesday night, October 8th. And then we want to pray for the election. First. I also want to pray for Loretta and Martin. They're both home from the hospital. Pray for Kathy and Esther as they have continuing tests um, and updates going on in there. So let's pause to pray before we look at the Lord Jesus, you are fairer than anything in this world. There is nothing in this world that compares to you, your beauty, your glory. Father, we come into your presence this morning with your Son being the exact representation of who you are because of him and through him and by his Spirit. Lord, we are able to come into your presence and invite you to be in our presence. We thank you for that privilege and that blessing. Father, we do pray for the search committee this morning. We pray for those names that have come in. But Lord, as we have read in that prayer this morning, we pray for us as a congregation that we would do our part, that we would be fully devoted to you, fully engaged in the things you are calling us as a congregation. Father, we thank you for the members and the um, adherents and the participants that call Ethan Alliance Church. So, Father, we pray for the search committee and the board as they continue to work through this process, and, um, diligent and attentive to your direction and your process. Father, we pray for this vote that's coming up on October the 8th. The will be done. Thank you for those who are involved and engaged studying and reflecting and, and praying and discerning uh, your direction for them as far as how this will go. And we pray that we would, as a congregation, accept the vote on Tuesday and move on as, again, respecting the process you have laid out for us here. Father, we do pray for our election. We pray for those candidates uh, as in the process running up in the pre-election uh, Items that are being thrown around, uh, we pray for our candidates. We pray for them that they would be uh, given wisdom. And we pray for our Christian candidates that are running. Father, we pray that you would, whatever side of the house they're going to sit on, Father, we pray that these individuals would uh, lead and function with dignity and integrity and uh, 
uh, transparency and, and Lord, that there would be uh, people drawn to vote for them. Not just because of their faith, but as a foundation that we have. Father, for us as voters, that we would take up our responsibility and exercise our vote and exercise our democratic responsibility. Father, your word tells us that you raise up kings and you bring them down. You set them up and you take them away. So, Father, we acknowledge that you are in, in control. And, Father, help us to respect what you're doing in our country, even though we may not really be aware of all this, all this we're setting up for us in the world. Father, thank you for good news regarding Martin and Loretta. Thank you that they're home. I uh, pray that they continue to do well and to recover and that, uh, uh, yeah, they would do uh, what the doctors are asking them to do and the meds and all those things would, uh, would do their work for the special father that you would encourage them uh, in these days of recovery. Thank you for Kathy and thank you for Esther and thank you for uh, their perseverance in the long journey you have uh, called them on. Continue to give them strength from day to day and as they wait tests and as they go for tests, you would just help them to be confident, help them to be confident in you. Uh, you are at work in their lives. You have been at work in their lives. Lord, may they look back and see uh, and come with great confidence in the ways that you have for them. So, Lord, we thank you. Pray for the kids in Caraway Street, the treasure seekers. Thank you for those who are leading in those areas. Uh, Lord, that you would bless them. Um, Lord, may you be present with them. So Father, I pray that the dream I had last night, I pray for the sake of this congregation, that that dream I had last night would not come true. Farmers, do you ever have farm dreams? Do you ever have a dream where the combine is burning? You're still driving it. You're still driving the combine, but it's burning. It's, it's still picking up the grain you've cut, but the combine is burning. I had one of those sermon dreams. And it ended at about 11.40. And the time in the dream was 11.40. I hadn't even started the sermon yet. <laughs> but, oh man. Where did that lead me? Farmers, you have those kind of, you have those, you have those dreams? No? Yeah, okay, good. Okay, good. Uh, thank you. I'm not crazy. That's all I need to know. I just need to know I'm not crazy. We're talking about discipleship today because in the adult class, they've been talking about discipleship. Uh, this morning's discipleship class was on worship. Uh, they had a class a few weeks back on giving. They had, I think, the first one was on prayer. And I think there's one more to go for next week. And it's on Sabbath. Okay. Rest. How are you doing on taking Sabbath? How are you doing on rest, pace, talk about that a little later this morning? But the Sunday morning classes have been spending time talking about discipleship. a fairly new word. It's kind of something from the 70s, thanks to the Navigators and Dawson Trotman. And it, it's something that's fairly recent in church lingo. Now, 70s may not sound recent, but in terms of 2,000 years of church history, discipleship is sort of sort of a, a new word. And Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, the letter we've been spending a fair bit of time in since when? Back uh, middle of the summer, has a lot to say about discipleship. 
but it doesn't use the word disciple. It doesn't use the word discipleship. It doesn't even use the word follow. But it has a lot to say about discipleship. In fact, one person has said this about the letter to the Hebrews. The letter, the epistle to the Hebrews, is a sermon on the cost of discipleship. Hebrews is a sermon on the cost of discipleship. You know what Jesus said, those who find their life will lose it, those who lose their life for my sake will find it. But perhaps you remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 12, after he'd come into Jerusalem in John chapter 12, Jesus said, except a grain of wheat, except a seed falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone a single seed. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. It has to be a death for there to be much fruit. And so discipleship, well, again, in, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Jesus calls a person to follow him, he bids them to come and die. Hebrews is a sermon on the cost of discipleship. In fact, the, the people that the epistle to the Hebrews is written to were quite ready for that. If you're working out of the church Bible, page 1105, sorry, yeah, page, sorry, page 1114, page 1114, Hebrews chapter 12, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, listen to the early years of these followers of Jesus. Listen to what their life was like after they became a Christian. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, page 1114 in the blue uh, Bibles, the few Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. The apostle writes, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you stood your ground, so it's, it's right after they became a Christian. You stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. So there's three words, suffering, insult, persecution. Exactly what happened in Jesus. Suffering, insult, persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So in other words, these believers had a very, very, I mean, this is A plus for their start. They started out and they just took it on. They realized that following Jesus meant hardship. They realized that there would be suffering. There'd be opposition. It would set them, and especially in a Jewish context, right? Because this is the background here. These are Jewish Christians. These are Hebrew Christians. And so the background is, now they become a follower of Jesus, who was crucified, well, technically by Pilate. But it wasn't Pilate who wanted him there, right? And so these Jewish People became followers of Jesus and then had to live in the same atmosphere that Jesus faced. Right? John chapter 1. He came unto his own and his own received him. Okay. Right off the, the early years, the early years are good. The early years are very good years. <clears throat> Kind of like the letter to the Galatians. Paul has a similar thing when he writes his letter to the Galatians. And realize that Paul, when he writes to the Galatians, he's pretty intense. He's pretty upset. He actually, chapter 4, he talks about 
who cut you off? Who cut in on you to, to put you on this side road? It's like you're driving along and somebody pulls in front of you and they send you on a grid road instead of being on um, on the highway, on the paved road. Who cut in? Who pushed you off? And what are you going down this side road for? You weren't, you're not on track. The Galatian believers had a very good belief too. And so the early years for these Hebrew Christians are very, very good. But then there's slow faith. There's the early years, there's the slow faith. Some of the words that the apostle, and some of the words that people who study the book of Hebrews use to describe what happens to these followers of Jesus. Here's some of the words they use in some of the commentaries and some of the writings about what's happening and what's being written about in the letter to the Hebrews. I'm just reading you the list. Lazy, slag, sagging faith, tired, drift, paralysis, shrinking back, timidity, weakening of resolve, a failure of nerve. That one comes up a lot. Weary, disheartened, slackers, undemanding lifestyle, defectors, cowards. You get the picture, right? Like, after this great start, there's this slow fade. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Turn back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 5. And the apostles sort of talks a little bit about, maybe not even so matter what's happened, but what hasn't happened. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Hebrews 5, 11, we have much to say about this, about Jesus being a high priest, and about this guy from the Old Testament named Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Technically, you could say it's the word lazy. You are slow to learn. You're slacking off. In fact, though by this time you ought to be, and he's not talking to the leaders. He's not talking to, he's talking to everybody in the house church. He's talking to everybody in the group of believers that he is addressing. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the elementary truths, the ABCs. The elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. I can't feed you solid food because all you can stomach is milk. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. He can't take them beyond. He can't even talk about the basics, right? Because they're not even ready for the basics again. They've Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Verse 1 of chapter 6 is attached to that. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. It seems like something cut them off. The hardship, the difficulty, the challenge, the hard work, the discipline. Paul says in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you. Now, we, we try and translate that into sort of 21st century thinking a little bit. In November, we're going to recognize the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And we understand that brothers and sisters around the world 
are in so much more of a challenging space for their faith and with their faith and regarding their faith than we are, we'll take some time and remember them. Once a year really doesn't cut it, but we do what we can, right? But what about you and I? What about Christians in North America? What if we couldn't get a tax deduction for our giving to the church? How would that change? So we lose our charitable status. We lose other things. We lose other rights and privileges that we think we should have. I mean, understand that for these followers of Jesus in the first century, it had just got worse and worse and worse. And so as they were working on this, following Jesus on this journey, following Jesus, they got to a point and they just said, man, forget it. I'm done. I'm signing off. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm going back. I'm going back. Kind of like Israel in the wilderness. And so in chapter 3 and 4, if you've done any reading in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3 and 4, the analogy is the children of Israel in the wilderness, and they grumbled and they complained, even though they had seen the great things God did to get them out of Egypt, the, the miracles he did to get them out of Egypt, the miracles he did to get them safe from the Egyptians, the, the daily provision of food, uh, the daily provision of guidance and direction. And no, they said, we want to go back. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to where we were slaves. And so this same thing is happening to these believers who started out so good. They weren't home yet, right? The apostle is going to talk about a little later, better and lasting possession. They're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. They're looking for a country, for a better country. They're looking ahead. And currently they're foreigners and strangers on the earth. And that's part of the problem. Apparently, I just discovered this and I need to do some more checking, but apparently John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress has a lot to do with Bunyan being influenced, but written in the letter to the Hebrews. And if you understand Pilgrim's Progress and Pilgrim's, you know, a uh, couple steps forward, a couple steps back, and the people that come alongside him and the people he tries to help and how things end up, you can see some of that in terms of Hebrews because what happens is they're in the middle. They're in between heaven, earth and heaven. They've come along on the journey. They're not home yet, but it's just too tough. It's too hard. Who wants to be in the middle between the start of harvest and the end of harvest? Like, who wants to be there right now? I don't think any farmer wants to be there right now. But that's where you are. Right? In the middle. You're in between. You've started. You're not finished. You want to finish. But there's so many things getting in the way to keep you from finishing. And what's, what's the word? Well, the word is stress on the news today. Farmers are under a lot of stress because of this situation. So, so these believers are in the middle and it's getting tougher. It's getting harder. In fact, a little later on, we'll get to it in a second. A few minutes. We'll get to it in a few minutes. Um, Hebrews chapter 12. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. It's been tough. It's been hard. But you haven't sacrificed your life yet. 
going to get tougher. Christian life is a continuing journey, and one of the words that's used to describe Jesus in the book of Hebrews is Jesus is the pioneer. He is the author, the trailblazer, the pathfinder, the champion. Chapter 2 and chapter 12 talk about Jesus as the author of our faith, the champion of our faith, the pioneer of our faith, the trailblazer of our faith. And so you see what's happened here in chapter 5. But the word that comes up a couple of times is the idea of maturity. Maturity. What the apostle wishes for is that they would be mature. What is maturity? I think all of, I think all of us would agree maturity is more than age. Maturity is more than age. Look at the faith in these new believers we read about in chapter 10. <laughs> That's maturity from the get-go. That, that is a gift of God. That's maturity. Now it's like they're regressing. So it's not about age. It's not about how long you've been a follower of Jesus. What's maturity? We could have a list. We're not going to have a big list. The first one I'm going to say is wisdom. Maturity is about wisdom. Let's see what Proverbs 9 says about wisdom. Because what happens is as we... My experience has been, in church life, what happens is we've been longer and longer in the church is we think we know. We think we know what God is up to. We think we know what God needs to do. We think we know what the church should do. We think we know what the leaders and the board should do. And this is, this is what should happen. Wisdom is about teachability. Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 9, or sorry, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9. The wise, when rebuked, will love you all the more. Teach the wise, and they will be wise. Teach the righteous, and they will learn more. Back it up again. Anyone who rebukes a mocker, Proverbs 9, 7, will get a smart retort. Anyone who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. So don't bother rebuking mockers, they will only hate you. But the wise, when rebuked, will love you all the more. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Am I teachable? Are we teachable? That's wisdom. That's maturity. Because if you're teachable, you're adaptable. And if you're adaptable, you're missional. Maturity is about wisdom, teachability. Maturity is about perspective. Maturity is about how we see things. Maturity is about faith and trust and increasing dependence and increasing confidence in God. Trust is a hard one. I, I still have a hard time trusting. We got new doors at our house. We upgraded our doors. And in part of the system, we upgraded our security system. And I know in small towns, it's I mean, you don't hear So we upgraded our security system, and we went electronic. My security system, I can check from my phone, and it will tell me 
one of the options I got was that I had a choice. I, I could either get the camera in the front door, see who's at my door, or I could get something in the garage that tells me when my garage door is closed and when my garage door is open. I said right away, I said, I want the garage door one because I'll leave the house. Did I close the garage door? Did I check in my mirror? It's like, inevitably, and I'll drive back. I've gotten as far as government house on duty in depot and gone back to see. My phone tells me the garage door is closed. I love it. But one thing happened when we were in Meadow Lake last week visiting our, our uh, son, daughter-in-law, and our grandkids. Um, I wasn't sure if the building was closed. They told me it was closed. We had some people in working on the garage, putting a ceiling, a roof ceiling in the garage. I had to call my neighbor and text my neighbor and say, Alan, can you just check to make sure the garage door is closed? I didn't believe, I didn't trust my phone. I don't know if you guys have them in, in Esteban, but we've got them in Regina. Pedestrians who just trust the rest of us driving in Regina that we know exactly that they're going to cross the road. Right? Like, they are so trusting, they just go. I don't think I got that kind of stuff. Maybe because I know my driving. Right? But maturity is about trust. How am I doing? How am I doing in my dependence and my confidence in God? And so the apostle says, this is where you are, but verse six, chapter 6, verse 1, therefore let us leave the elementary teachings of Christ and go on to maturity. Let us not lay again a foundation of repentance. Let us go on to maturity. In fact, you could technically say the, the, the verse could be translated, let us be carried forward to maturity. Let us be carried forward to perfection. The apostle has talked a lot in the book of Hebrews about perfection. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus has been made perfect. Jesus will make us perfect. Let us leave the element or let us leave the elementary teachings can be translated. Let us be carried forward to completeness. What a great picture. What a great picture. It's not up to me. There's a partnership. There's a symbiotic relationship between me and the Holy Spirit. That if if what I want is what the Holy Spirit wants, then it will go that way. Let us be carried forward to maturity, to completeness, to perfection. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your Heavenly Father. That's the standard. So maturity is this path to perfection, to completeness. So that's the early years. That's the slow fade. So where does that leave? The Hebrew Christians. Turn to chapter 12. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Page 1115, if you're working in the blue hardcover Bible. So this is today. This is today. And that word comes up a number of times in Hebrews, especially in the early verses. Today, if you hear his voice, right? This is today. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, with endurance, the race marked out for us. This isn't the first time the apostles used an athletic metaphor, an athletic imagery about our, our following Jesus, of what discipleship is. In fact, he used it about half a dozen times. So this is, again, this athletic imagery. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the trailblazer. 
the champion, and the perfecter of our faith. Start to finish. I think Philippians 1.6, you began a good work, we'll complete it. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful, sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why? Because they're in danger of losing heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and children. My son, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And your hardship is discipline. God is treating you as sons, as children. Today. Run with endurance. Run with endurance. Training, it's an idea of training metaphor. What's the toughest part of training? Those of you that have physio, and, and your physiotherapist gives you certain exercises to do. The song we sang a couple weeks ago uh, has a phrase in it, these bones will sing. It reminded me of going, going to physio. These bones will sing. So what's your physiotherapist? My physiotherapist working on my shoulder. And he gives me three sets of 10, right? So, so whatever your exercise is, whatever your workout is, you got three sets of 10. And if you're truly doing them the way they're supposed to, they're supposed to hurt a little bit. There's supposed to be some pain. There's supposed to be some stretching, right? Which set of repetitions is the hardest? First set of repetitions, the second set of repetitions, or the third set of repetitions? I find the second set hard. Once I get to the third set, I know I'm almost home. It's like, I can do this. It's getting through that second set. When I'm doing a three-mile run, the hardest mile is the second mile. When I'm doing a five-mile run, the hardest mile is the third mile. When I'm doing a 10-mile run, when I'm doing a half marathon, the toughest part is the seventh mile. Once I get past that mid uh, yes, no. Is it the middle that's the toughest in those things when you're training? Thank you. I'll take one yes. So, where does it flag? Where, where, do they, where does the failure of nerve come? It comes in the middle. It comes in between because we're not home yet. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's training. There's discipline. There's hard work. There's punishing our body to accomplish the goal, to see it through to the end. See, hardship is discipline. So where does this training start for us? Where does, well, actually, we go back to chapter 5. This training, I believe, starts with the Word of God. Chapter 5, verse 13 said, here's what I can't do. I can't help you get acquainted because you're not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. You're not acquainted with what the Word of God says about being right with God. Therefore, I can't even get to the ABCs. So we're back to the Word of God. In the past, God spoke in various ways and in various means, but in these latter days, he has spoken to us by his Son, the Word of God. That's where it starts. Pay more careful attention. The Apostle says a number of times in chapters 1, 2, and 3, pay more careful attention to what God has said. So it starts with the Word of God. How's your training when it comes to the Word of God? How's your discipline when it comes to the Word of God? I could say just read it. Just make Nike your slogan. Instead of just do it, just read it. Just read it. 
Just read it. I think that's the starting point, but don't stop there. The followers of Jesus in the city of Berea were more noble than the believers in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul was preaching about were true. You know what? They didn't have Bibles to take home with them when they did that. They had to go and dig them out and find them in the synagogue. And dig them out, maybe even go further afield than that. You study it, you meditate on it, you reflect on it, you engrave it on your heart and mind. All that takes time. That's, that's I think, the problem. Sometimes we say it's too hard, it's too difficult, but I think the bigger problem for all of us is it takes time. Some of the years I put the most training in were the years I was running a marathon. I've run two marathons. And the most mileage I put in training were the years I was running a marathon. I don't need to put on marathon training miles if I'm running a half marathon. But I need to take the time. What does our training look like when it comes to the Word of God? One article I read by a gentleman by the name of Raymond Brown said, a Christian is someone who is committed to a life of constant education. That works for me. I had a lot of school in my background. Not everybody has like school. I remember going to a conference and, and the theme kept repeating and repeating and the, speaker, the one speaker kept repeating and repeating is leaders are readers, leaders are readers. And that works for me until I met some leaders who weren't readers. Okay, so how, how do they learn? How do they, I don't know. You, you say, well, I'm, I'm not a runner. I'm not an athlete. All these athletic imageries, I, I don't get them. I, that's, I'm not an athlete. You might say, I'm not a student. I'm not a reader. It's all this training stuff. Though. I guess my question is, is that, is that a reason or is that an excuse? Is it any help? I can't be bothered. These last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You're a follower of Jesus. And if you've been a follower of Jesus, what, that's been on his church, he's coming up to six years. You're a follower of Jesus for more than six years. What are you learning? What are you learning? And it starts in the Word. It starts in the Scripture. When the Apostle said, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily intent. Let us run with endurance and perseverance and grace. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Because we're not home yet. I like that phrase we saw in chapter 6, verse 1. Let us be carried forward to maturity. Let us be carried forward to maturity. Yeah, but how? How, how do we move forward to maturity? Number one, Holy Spirit. 
Number one, the Holy Spirit is actively engaged in our following of Jesus. He equips us, he empowers us, he emboldens us, he encourages us, he helps us, he prompts us, he nudges us, he pushes us. Am I engaged with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life? Are you engaged with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life? I think it starts here. For the most part, it will. Sometimes it might miraculously not, but for the most part, it starts allowing Scripture to speak into your life. How are we carried forward to maturity? By the Holy Spirit. How are we carried forward to maturity? Two days ago, it came to me simply this. We do it together. How are we carried forward to maturity? We do it together. Look at chapter 12. Let us throw off everything. Let us run with endurance. And if you were to go back to chapter 5, you see the same thing there. Let us, let us, let us. Go back to chapter 10 again. Go back to chapter 10, verse 19. Uh, we have confidence entered by a new and living way. Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly. Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. Let us, let us. This is the author, the writer, the one who is challenging them, exhorting them, and he is saying, let us do it together. How are we carried forward to maturity? We are done carried forward to maturity together. Together as a body, but also together in our, our sort of gifting. Dare I say specialization? Dare I say interest? Dare I say preferences? But we do it together. We don't do it as individuals. We fight the individualism that says, my way, this way. I think I told you the story, didn't I? I read a thing back in the spring that the most requested song for funerals in Britain, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. How many of us in church want it to be done our way? Doesn't mean we don't have a doesn't mean we don't have a say. But I think if Hebrews and, and if read through Hebrews and tell me what you think about all these let us phrases. How do we grow forward and move forward and carry forward to maturity? We do it together. Fight the spirit of individualism. Fight the spirit that says it has to be my way and there's only one way to see this and there's only one way to interpret this and there's only one way to do this and there's only one way to make this happen. Fight that. Everyone. Yeah, Jesus is the only one. But don't kid yourself. Let us be carried forward to maturity. How? Holy Spirit, we do it together. And watch your face. Watch your face. Pace yourself. Pace yourself. Even in terms of the search process for a pastor. Some of you probably wanted a pastor act by the summer. Some of you wanted a pastor by Christmas. I think we'll have a pastor. Money. 
pace is so important. Pace is so important to me as a runner. It's interesting about these early believers, right? They were so good. They were so good early on. I encourage you to take a little time to think about Sabbath. Or that when I'm done. Holy Spirit, when it's good, and we are our own worst monitors of our own Closing songs, first one points us to God, and the second one sort of is This is being a follower of Jesus. Not in my early years. Not in my short days. 